So are we watching the Olympics? How many are watching the Olympics? Just curious. Okay. Yay. Okay. So what have we had so far? A little gymnastics action? Soccer? Soccer, Drake? Is that what you're saying? Soccer? U.S. Women's National Team yesterday beating France one to nothing maybe. The girl with the rifle. I don't know where to go with that. Gold medal. Okay, see, there you go. Chicks with guns, right? I've heard that before. No, no. You know, you never know what will come out of this crowd, got to say. <laughs> you just never know. It's actually quite the spectacle down there in Rio. We watched the opening ceremony. I was grateful. My bedtime is a little earlier than the opening ceremony is slated to last, and so I am grateful for the Portuguese alphabet that means the United States comes in under E instead of U. So I got to go to bed at least an hour and a half earlier than I thought I was going to. And that was good, watching Michael Phelps walk in with a flag and... 500-plus athletes, is that how many are in our, our contingent there? Uh, just remarkable. Um, we watched a few things yesterday. Denise likes women's volleyball. Um, yeah, I won't go into why. Just She just likes women's volleyball. It's just, so we watched that. At the same time, that soccer game was on. So that was a tough choice in our house. But, but it's fun to see um, all the sorts of things that go on there and the world coming together and, and, and the, the spectacle of the games. I'm a sports fan anyway. Have I mentioned I like football? Is, is not this Hall of Fame weekend? Does not the NFL begin to come back soon in preseason and then college? Yeah, we'll talk about that a little bit today. Um, but, but, you know, I, I want to kind of use that idea of sports as we go through today's uh, message. We've been talking about worship for the last couple of weeks um, because the reality is all of us worship something. Now, we might not think of it as worship because we kind of put our idea of worship in a very particular box, worship being what happens in a room like this. And depending on your, your background, how you were raised, what kind of church or religious expression, it looks a lot different across the spectrum of, of religions, but we usually associate worship primarily with religious expression. But I would suggest to you, no, no matter religious or not, we all worship something. And if you want to know what it is you worship, the best indicators of that is to look at where you spend your time, what gathers your attention, what you talk about the most, where you spend your money, and, and where your energy is directed, that's probably the thing that is your object of worship because that's just kind of how we are put together. In fact, last week we spent a lot of time talking about how we are created to worship. There's something about how God put us together and ultimately made in His image that begs to express worship and adoration to something or someone. The problem is when we get things out of order. And we started in week one talking about that there is only one true one who is worthy of our worship, and that's the one true God. And so the, our life is this process of making sure nothing somehow surpasses or supplants him as the object 
of our worship. So today I want to talk about, in that vein, as we've talked about who we should worship and how we're created to worship, maybe we'd say, then how should we worship? Now, worship is an interesting thing. There was something not so long ago, affectionately known in church world circles as the worship wars. I don't know if you're familiar with the worship wars, but it basically dealt primarily with the style of worship in churches. It was sometimes churches transitioning from a more traditional type of worship to a more contemporary type of worship, and many churches had and lots of dis- debate and discussion and, and even some division because of, hey, that sounds preacher-lit debate discussion. I didn't intend to do that. I guess that's just my training. I hate that when that happens. Anyway, um, these, that's, that's kind of the result of that. So today I thought, let's look at traditional worship. And where is the best place to find traditional worship? How about in the longest book in the Bible? Which is kind of right in the center of your Bible. At least as I was a kid, when we used to do uh, Bible drills. Anybody do Bible drills growing up? Yeah. One of the things that we were told is if you want to find the book of Psalms, you kind of open your Bible to the center and you usually find it. Not always. I don't know if it's the geographic center or not, but it seemed to work a lot. One of the reasons is because Psalms is the longest book in the Bible, 150 chapters in the book of Psalms. And the book of Psalms is a remarkable book in the sense of we have a Psalm of Moses in there. Can you imagine that? That's pretty remarkable, going way back to some of the maybe ones we often associate the Psalms with, to David, that king of Israel. We've got this broad spectrum of time. And in Psalms, we have a picture of how The people of God, many, 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 many years ago, before there was church, worshipped him. And we have, as one of the books of the Bible, God's inspired word to us to say, this is how I'm saving, preserving, inspiring for you how I would like for your worship to look. Now, to do this, to go through a whole book, like 150 chapters of Psalm, would be impossible. So I'm going to pick one word. Isn't that exciting? And this one word is a remarkable word. It is the word in English, praise. Now, we would often think of worship as a way to praise God. Praise has in mind, we might think, um, offering praise to one who has done something or who deserves to be praised for it. Uh, How many of you, let's see, we got some kiddos here. Yeah, we do. All of us were kiddos at one time or another, right? Don't we like to be praised? Who does not like to be praised so we don't want to offend you in any way? No, we all like, we like it. If you're, as parents, right, that's one of the things we want to do for our children. When they do something good, we want to praise them. You know, they hear, I understand, statistically speaking, the word they hear the most from us as parents is no. So it's good when we say yay. Maybe not, okay. <laughs> Trust me, it's good. They want to hear us say yay. We like, and we like to be praised. If you do something... Guys, let's talk about this. We had any husbands here? Any husbands? How, how, where do I want to go with this? Lots of places I could go. Let me just say this. Now, yeah, I know. <laughs> Your guess is as good as mine some Sundays, but nonetheless. Um, you know, the, our wives work hard, don't they? Yes, they do. They do things like go to a job and, and do the things there at the job, and then they come home and they might have to clean the house. 
They might have to cook dinner. They might have to do the dishes after dinner. They might have to do the laundry. They might have to pick up the laundry we left lying on the floor. Except there's that one time when you left your shirt in the middle of the bedroom and you came home, guys, and you saw it and you thought, I'm going to pick this up before my wife gets home. And you picked it up and put it in the laundry basket and she didn't notice and you got mad because she didn't praise you. That's never happened, I know, to any of us. We, I mean, we all like to be acknowledged when we do something worthy of praise. And if there is one who is worthy of praise, it is God himself. But what we're going to see is the word praise in English. I said we were going to look at one word. I kind of fibbed, lied. It's actually seven different Hebrew words in the book of Psalms that are translated with our English word praise. And Hebrew is a fascinating language. A lot of times, one of the weaknesses of an English translation of the Bible is because the vocabulary of the original language, in, in the case of the Old Testament, Hebrew is much more diverse and in the than the English language, and sometimes the, the, the number of words in a language is different, and so things don't work out that way. And another dynamic, particularly of Hebrew, is Hebrew is an oral language, so it's meant to evoke pictures. You know, we, we're primarily a, a writing kind of a culture. We have books, and, you know, it's written. That's how we communicate. Actually, now it's all digital, but nonetheless, it's still printed in some way. But back in the days of the Old Testament, it was oral, writing Equipment, utensils, and materials were very expensive and very rare, uh, and so the way they communicated was orally. In fact, most of what we have as the scripture was probably memorized by most of the young children as Jewish children. That was part of their education system, was memorizing the scripture. So it's very oral language, and because of that, it's very picturesque language. So a word in Hebrew is, is meant to evoke an image at times, and we're going to see that with these seven different words for praise. Are you ready? Okay, two of you are. Good. Guess that's better than none. Here we go. The Hebrew word, number one. I think we've got the English transliteration if you want to write them down. If you don't, that's fine too because you've got minds like steel traps, right? Hebrew word, number one, is the word Hallel. Now, you may recognize that word because it's a word that we use, hallelujah, which is this Hebrew word with the, the word yah on it. Yah is reminiscent or means God. Um, in fact, a lot of the times when you see words in the Old Testament that have yah in them somewhere, that is part of the name of God, Yahweh, the covenant name of God. So hallelujah is praise God. So when we say hallelujah, that's what we mean. We might say Elijah that yah, the names of many people in the Old Testament have God in their names, and we could go on, but that's the word itself, hallel. If you were to get out your Hebrew lexicon, which all of you have on your bookshelves, no, probably not, I happen to have one. I used to could read it, can't anymore, so now I just have to hopefully get it right. The word hallel means, in the lexicon, to be boastful, to shout for joy, to celebrate. Just like that. Good job. I, I like this audience response no no that's what it means to to be boastful I like that of the definitions to praise God is to brag on God to be boastful of what God has done praise has at its at its heart this idea to to do that it, and so to be boastful often when we're boastful we're usually 
a little loud about it, you know, we're, we're happy about someone. Now, I mentioned sports. I was going to kind of use that a lot of times to undergird it. How many of you have ever been to a sporting event of any kind? Football, baseball, basketball? Okay, how many of you, during that sporting event, when you were there, in any way shouted for joy, is that what I said, as part of the celebration or praise of your team? Anyone shout for joy? Good. You have halleled. You've practiced. You're good at it. So, so that's the idea that it means. So there, let me look at the, a verse of Scripture, Psalm chapter 35. This shows up a lot. This is probably the one that shows up the most. In fact, at the end of the sermon today, we're going to look at Psalm chapter 150, the last of the Psalms. And Hallel, this word, is the one that will be repeated throughout all the instances of the word praise. In Psalm chapter 35, verse 18, this word Hallel is used. And it says this, I'm going to trust that they're all on the screen. If they're not, I'm in trouble too. It says, I will give you thanks in the great assembly among throngs of people. I will hallel you. I will praise you. I will celebrate you. I will boast about you. I will shout for joy about you. Now, now a lot of us, I've, I said this a few weeks ago, that's not our bent toward God toward corporate worship we're a little more reserved we're, we don't like that there's actually a word for that too we'll get there in a few minutes um, so we have kind of both ends of the spectrum but this should be part of it now it doesn't have to be the only way so never let somebody say if you're not shouting for joy if you're not doing all this stuff you're really not worshiping no that's not the case but there should be in our lives times when God proves himself worthy that we praise him and it might get a little bit of volume behind it. Now, I've said before, too, some people's volumes is higher volumes than other people's volumes. I won't give any examples because I got in trouble last time I did that, but nonetheless, they're different volumes. So some people that are talking in their normal voice sounds like they're shouting, and some people that are shouting sound like they're whispering. So it's not about decibel level. It's about that, that heart intent behind this, to hallel God, to be boastful, to celebrate what he has done. Um, even among throngs of people, much like that sporting event there. Second word for praise in the uh, Psalms is in Psalm 138, verse 1. The word is yada. Now, yada is an interesting word. It has a lot of meanings in, in the Old Testament. But in the context of praise, it means to acknowledge or confess the greatness of, and it's usually accompanied by gesturing. So, you might... Who talks with their hands? Anybody talk with their hands? Yes, if you tie your hands behind your back, you can't say a thing. That's the idea, to acknowledge. You know, we, we might think, now I said sporting event. I like football. What happens when your team scores a touchdown? You raise your hands. I think that's what happened. The Bucks haven't scored in like five seasons. So <laughs> anyway, nonetheless, the Dolphins just scored a couple times last year, but we won't go into that. Maybe they'll both be better this year. They, you know, even we see that in sporting events, this this idea of praising by the gesturing, indicating something. If you're, I, I used to watch Australian rules football when I was a kid. I don't know why it was on ESPN. Anybody else watch that? I love when they score. The guy does this, <laughs> right? Do you remember that? Do you see that? He does this kind of six-shooter thing. I don't know what that means, but that's what he does, and it's very funny. Uh, am I the only one that ever saw that? Was that accurate, Steve? That was close enough? Okay. Anyway, so, you know, gesturing, you, you kind of have the idea that there's, there's a little oomph behind it. And so this word here means to acknowledge and to confess. It's almost to point out something that has happened that you want people to notice. 
is the meaning behind it. Scored a touchdown, you, you scored. There's something about God that you want him to notice, that gesturing there. Psalm 138, verse 1 is where this verse is used. Uh, it's used more than that, but I'm just picking out representative verses. It says this in Psalm 138, I will praise you, O Lord, with all of my hearts before the gods. Notice that idea of little g gods. I will sing your praise that in the midst of all the stuff that's competing for my attention, my allegiance, even my worship, I will praise you even before the gods, the other gods. I will praise you. I'll sing your praise. The idea being I'm going to point to you, God. I'm going to gesture toward you. I'm going to make sure people know I'm talking about you. It's, it's a public idea of acknowledging God in the midst of different things that are going on. Third word in Hebrew in the Psalms I want to look at that is translated by the English praise is the one that means uh, maybe more calm or more introspective. It's the word Barak, B-A-R-A-K. Um, yes, that is our current president's name. I, I'm not making any points about anything there. It's just the word in Hebrew. If you're uh, a Republican, I'm sorry, it shows up in the Old Testament. If you're a Democrat, you're welcome. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> Barak. It means to kneel or bless by bowing. It, it's an idea. As I said, Hillel is that shouting for joy, that, that more calamitous, obvious, uh, explanatory thing. Barak is a more subdued response is acknowledging the greatness of the God that we praise by kneeling or bowing before him by showing our subjection to God both are expressions of praise both are necessary expressions of praise you can't always look at God like you know go God yes that's important but if you never kneel before him all the go gods is is empty and if all you do is kneel before him and never celebrate his greatness sometimes that becomes a little empty too. It's a balance of how we express ourselves toward God. Psalm 103 verses 1 and 2 is where we want to look for this word. Again, shows up other places, just picked out some representative places in the Psalms. Psalm 103, I believe, is what's next. Praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. And then verse 2, Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. So the idea here being all that is within me acknowledges the greatness of God. And even my very soul acknowledges his greatness by kneeling, by bowing, by humbling myself before him because of all that he has done for me, all of his benefits. Forget not all his benefits. Has God done anything for you? Did you deserve it? So you just fall down and say, thank you, Jesus. I didn't deserve it, but I'm grateful that in spite of my sin, in spite of my weakness, in spite of my undeservingness, you out of your great grace and mercy and love have done this for me, and I, I just can't do anything but fall before you in praise to, to Barak. The, the, what are we on? Fourth word is the word zamar. This is the word that involves playing an instrument, primarily a stringed instrument. In some places it talks about the ten-string lyre or the harp. Now, lyre, not like you told a fib, but the, the instrument, just to be clear. The ten-string lyre, the harp, the lyre, those sorts of things, these stringed instruments. And again, the idea here is a, a pretty robust expression of praise to God. Psalm chapter 92, verse 1, is where we're going to look for this one. It says this, It is good to praise the Lord and make music to your name, O Most High. It is good to praise the Lord. It is good to make music to your name. Anybody like, I, 
I could say a lot of things. Um, who, who, music aficionados here? Like a good concert? What do we got? Uh, not many. Okay. Maybe this is the wrong word to talk about for a while. Um, nonetheless, how about, let's ask it different. Okay, I'll just give you my example, and then you can deal with it. We, uh, a few years ago, got to go to an orchestral concert of all the Star Wars music. I know. I know. Anthony Daniels, who played C-3PO, narrated the thing. And behind the orchestra was the, uh, the, the huge screen, high-definition screen, that showed clips from the films that corresponded to the different music. Yes, I geeked out. It was awesome. I, I practiced at geeking out, so don't worry about it. I've been a nerd a long time. Anyway, it was awesome. And, and at one point, the, the choir came out, oh, you know, that kind of ominous music where the voice, it was, it was so cool. And the, just the quality of the, of the music there. We, uh, we got to go a few years ago, was it just a couple years ago, to see Wicked, courtesy of a young lady in the room. And uh, we got great seats to see Wicked. And we got to, s- you could kind of see the orchestra doing their thing and the, the musical ability of the cast in the orchestra. In fact, did you know that the two main players, Tessie, that were in our cast are now on the Broadway version of Wicked, just for the record? I know, it's exciting. Carrie St. Louis and I forget uh, oh, who played the, anyway, never mind. You're like, this is church. Why are you talking about Wicked? I know, I know, I know. Get confused sometimes. Just going with music, get on that. And it was just fabulous. You get around good musicians and it's remarkable, the talent level. And, and, and the picture of this word, Zamar, in in the Old Testament is we should express that same kind of devotion and use that same artistry toward God. Even some of our hymns, if you go back to the hymnody of the church, came out of of amazing composers in in history, people that wrote incredible music. And there's even today many amazing artists. We talked last week about how the enemy was anointed with music and how Music is anointed in general in praise. God anoints music and uses it in our lives. And there are many anointed artists that are able to use the artistry of music, including, let me not leave out the folks that devote their time and, and offer their time here so that we have a band and we can worship through, through song as well. Music is, is an important part of worship. It's not the only part. It's one part, but one way we praise God is through Music. Next word, number five. This is a tough one. Don't try this one at home because it's what's called in Hebrew a guttural, which means you got to spit when you say it right. So just read it. Let you. We, I think it's shabak is how we would say it. But that last ch is a. You got to kind of clear it. Shabak. It's really ugly. You know that's why there's like a personal space enforced in Israel because you just don't know which word's coming next. Shabak. Is, is a word that is translated praise, but you might expect even by the word and, and by the way it's said, it has to do with loud tones, shouting. It's a word that's often used in other contexts of a temper tantrum. How's that? You should have a temper tantrum of worship to God. Is the idea being the, the, the excitement, the, the emotional intensity of our expression of praise to God should be sometimes loud and have that energy to it. Again, I've said we, we could talk about sports. I, I sit in my living room most of the time and watch my team play football. And sometimes I get loud. Sometimes I shabak. Especially with the Bucks. They, they have a lot of 
need for Shabbat. It's one of those things, you know. It's, you're just, I'm excited about it. And, and, I, and I, I get there, I'm, I'm, I'm happy when they do well. Sometimes I'm encouraging when they're behind. Uh, I'm, I'm not the most expressive person. I know that when I say that, people look at me and go, really? It's true. I, I really am kind of a quiet, shy, reserved guy, apparently until I come up four steps, and then it goes differently, but that's another story. But it, or in football, I can do it there. And I get really excited about it, and, and that's the idea here, the excitement, the energy to, to encourage on, to, to, to make that, that expression known and heard. And what I would say to myself maybe at times is, you know, don't sit in your living room and scream at a television about football players that can't hear you and think it's okay to sit on your hands in front of the God who made you and sent his son to die for you. You know, sometimes we get those, those expressions of emotion. You know, we think, yes, God is is to be revered. There is the barak of praise where we lower ourselves, and we'll see a little bit of, of some other words that have that idea in it. Uh, we lower ourselves. We revere him for who he is, but there is the sense that he has done for us such a great thing that, that our expression of praise for that should at least somehow hint at the greatness of the God who acts in history on our behalf. Um, Psalm chapter 63 is where we're going to look for this one, verses 3 and 4. Have I done a verse for everyone? I, okay, good. That's a, that's a miracle. Um, nonetheless, Psalm 63, 3 and 4 it tells us this. Because your love is better than life. So God has done some amazing things for us. My lips will glorify you. In the next verse is where we get our word. I will praise you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. Now that brings us to our next word which is not in this verse, but is hinted at in this verse, this idea of lifting up our hands. And the, the Hebrew word is todah, like ta-da, no, but todah. So kind of that um, idea. And this has at its mind to lift our hands. But notice it's not just lift our hands to lift our hands. It's more like lift our hands in surrender. It's the kind of lift your hands when you're helpless and you're giving up because you know there's nothing else you can do that you've reached the end of your ability and it's safer to surrender than to try to fight back if we were in certain situations, we might think. And the same is the case with God. It is a, it is a realization and its root has in mind the confession of our sin. So God, we surrender. This is who I am and I throw myself on the mercy of the eternal God and the great judge of the universe. I surrender to you. Again, that's not an exalting word. It's a humble yourself kind of word. We have both of these ideas in praise. It requires at times an uh, exuberance in praise, and sometimes it requires a reverence and an acknowledgement of our lack in praise. And this is one of those words that's there and often tied to the idea of, of raising our hands. Psalm chapter 50, verse 23 is where this particular word shows up, and it says this, Whoever offers praise glorifies me, and him who orders his conduct aright, I will show the salvation of God. So you can see in the both parts of that verse the idea. He who offers praise, he who gives up, he who surrenders, he who admits that they've come to the end of themselves and I'm their only hope, they glorify God. And in doing that, he shows us his salvation. That's 
sort of how we would see it. It's by grace we're saved, not through faith. It's confession of sin and acknowledgement of our need of God as Savior and what he has done for us through Jesus that brings about our salvation. And this word, todah, is an idea of I, I confess, I surrender, I give up, I need you, God. And the last word, um, this is a good keys word. The word in Hebrew is tehillah. I knew you were going to go there. <laughs> it's only going to get worse. Because the verse I want you to look at is Psalm chapter 34, verse 1. I will extol the Lord at all times. His tehillah will always be on my lips. Some of you think that's the keys verse right there. That's it. Uh, tequila, not the other one. Now, and some people say and the tequila and tequila have the same effect if you're not careful, but nonetheless, that's the, this idea is a song of praise, an exuberant idea that, that his praise will always be on my lips. Have you noticed those who partake of certain beverages of the alcoholic variety, if they partake too much, their tongues get elusive? They say things they otherwise might not say. They might get a little more volume. Now, tequila and tequila have no relationship grammatically. I'm not making that point. But there is the verse in the New Testament, don't be drunk with wine, but instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. And you've probably heard the sermon, because I know I have. You, they have the same effect. If you're drunk or if you're filled with the Spirit, your walk is affected, right? If you're drunk, your walk is affected. And your walk, your way of life filled with the Spirit is affected. Your talk is affected. We just talked about that. You might slur your words a little bit if you're a little tipsy. And your talk is affected if you're filled with the Holy Spirit in the sense that you're going to talk about the things of God. And that's just a mini-sermon that somebody preached a long time ago. But the idea of tequila is the, the exuberant song of praise to God will always be on my lips. No matter where I go, that's going to be what I want to talk about. The goodness of my God, the God who is worthy of praise, his tehillah, his praise will be on my lips because he is worthy of praise. He is worth talking about. He's worth telling others about. In the New Testament, we're told we should always be ready to give a defense for the hope that is within us. The idea being because of what God has done for us, we should have something to say about the goodness and the greatness of our God. So those are your seven words that talk about praise. That English word praise translated by, or the translation of seven different Hebrew words that give different facets of the diamond that is praise or worship to God. Let me, let me close by reading, well, close, who am I kidding? Well, maybe, oh, well, yeah. <laughs> Psalm 150. That's where we're going to go. It's the last of the Psalms. And, and as I said before, Psalm 150, the word for praise in this psalm every time is hallel, hallel, hallel. There's not variety here. It's all the same word. Hallel being the most popular, the most, uh, most used word. But, but listen to this, because here's at the end of this book that is, in a sense, the worship manual of Israel. Many of these psalms would be used in their worship. In fact, there is a section of the psalms called the hallel, which is Psalm 113 to 118. And in those psalms, uh, the Jews would sing them on their way up to Jerusalem for the high holy days, for the festivals. They would actually recite them, sing them together as they made their way to the holy city. They're called the Hallel, so praise to God, very important. But, but the kind of the summary psalm of the whole book of worship of Israel, Psalm 150. Um, I'm going to turn to it and kind of read it rather than be dependent totally on the screens. It says this, praise the Lord, big shock, right? 
Praise the Lord. This is how he wraps up this book of, of worship. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Now we know the sanctuary for Israel was the temple. Pre- previous to that, the tabernacle. For us, the sanctuary that we look forward to is that not made by hands, the holy city. The, the idea of praise him in his mighty heavens. We think of that as our eternal reward. And then listen to, to what we praise him for in verse 2. Praise him for his acts of power that God has acted in history and demonstrated he is worthy of praise. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. There's nothing greater than God. Verse 3, praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and lyre. I think a few weeks ago the worship team used this psalm for, you did a really good job with that when you used the different instruments there through this. Praise him with the harp and lyre. Praise him with tambourine and dancing. Nobody's dancing. We're a Baptist, I know. I've seen you dance. I'm glad you're not dancing. (laughs) Moving on. Yeah, just move on. Praise him with the strings and flute. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. I have a feeling heaven's going to be loud. Heaven's going to be voluminous. Voluminous? Voluminous? Hair is voluminous. Oh, I don't know. Whatever. It's going to be loud. We, We think about... In, in Isaiah 6, Isaiah sees the vision of the, the great God on his throne, high and lifted up. And it says the angels that are surrounding him are crying out day and night, holy, holy, holy. And when they do that, it says the sound of their voices shake the temple. And in the New Testament, um, we hear or we see John on the Isle of Patmos have the risen Jesus appeared in Revelation chapter 1. And as the risen Jesus appears and speaks, it says his, his voice is like the sound of a trumpet. Elsewhere, it says the voice of God is like the sound of many waters or rushing waters. Any of you been to a massive waterfall? Any Niagara Falls visitors? Is that loud? Yes. That's nothing compared to the volume of the angels that surround God and the volume of the voice of God when he speaks that shakes the very ground that we would walk on. This, this the heaven is going to be loud, but here's the reason. Not because, you know, you need earpods to worry, but because God deserves not just praise, not just yea, God. God deserves all that we are expressed to all that he is, and all that he is is so much more than we can even comprehend that no matter how much we give, no matter how much volume or, or whatever we dis- express it in, no matter how much does any justice to the greatness of our God. And so the picture here in Psalm 150 is we just praise him, not just with symbols, but with resounding symbols. Verse 6, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And in case you missed it, what does he close it with? The same way he opened it. Praise the Lord. So, so the idea in, in this book of Psalms is that God is worthy and our worship should be expressed. Here's the thing. That, that really is kind of what I would boil it down to. Worship should be expressed. Worship, maybe more particularly, is our love to God expressed. What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God. That's it. That's what he says. Boil it down. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor as you Love the Lord your God. Great. The Shema of Israel. Hero Israel. The Lord our God. The Lord is one. You should love the Lord your God. That's the greatest commandment. And, and, and so if that's the greatest commandment, worship is our way of expressing our love to God. Now, anybody here married? Yes. Okay. Husbands, pick it on you again. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yes, you ready? Does your wife like it when you say I love you? Now, you don't have to answer this. You can just keep this inside. Has your wife ever said, you don't say I love you? You only say I love you when I say it first. I don't know if that's happened or not. You've heard about the gentleman whose wife picked on him that way, right? Said, you, you just never tell me you love me. He said, honey, told you I loved you on the day I married you, and I'll let you know if anything changes. <laughs> Maybe not the best way to go about it. I love her in my heart, but she wants to hear it. She wants you to express it. In fact, Gary Chapman wrote a book, The Five Love Languages. How many of you have read The Five Love Yes, a lot of us have. The Five Love Languages, they are uh, gifts, which is great, great, uh, words of affirmation, acts of service, touch, physical touch, and quality time are the five love languages. And you can take an inventory that shows you what your love language is and what your spouse's love languages and here's the thing that the the whole book is about your spouse feels the most loved when you speak their love language so for instance my one of my love languages is quality time one of denise's is gifts (laughs) there's nothing wrong with that it made the book it's in the top five so If I only speak my love language to Denise, and when her birthday happens two weeks from today, say, honey, what I got for you this year was my undivided attention. (laughs) Is that going to work? Is there anything wrong with her receiving my undivided attention? No. Now, if she told me for my birthday, I'm going to give you today, you'll have my undivided attention, Whatever you want to do, we're going to do it. You don't have to go shopping. I'm thrilled with that. I'm going shopping. Another one of her love languages is words. I use all my words on Sunday from 9 to 10, 15. (laughs) I don't have any left the rest of the week. But I have to learn to say some words. It makes a difference. And, And what I want you to think is I've just given you seven words that are, in, a, in effect, God's love language. How can you tell God what he means to you? By praising him in these ways. These are just seven ways based upon the, the Psalms of ways to, to, to boast on him, to, to uh, confess him, and, and publicly even acknowledge him, to kneel before him, to, to sing, play an instrument, to uh, that, that guttural shabak, that loudness, the, the excitement and exuberance, to lift your hands and surrender and to, to sing that song of praise. All of those are ways God receives love. Now, here's the great part about God. Here's the awesome thing. See, one of the things that happens in that dating process or before that first date is usually the fella has to take a risk, right? We have to ask the girl out. And the reason it's a risk is because she might say, No. Wouldn't it be great if before you risk anything, she sent you a card, an email, a letter, I love you and want you to ask me out, sign, fill in her name. Would that take the risk out of it? 
he'd probably run the other way, knowing most fellows I know, but that's another story. Well, here's what I want you, you know, that, it's not a risk anymore, because when you express your love and you say, honey, I, I, I want to take you out, I want to start a dating relationship, she's already taken the risk out of it. This table is a reminder that God's taken the risk out of it. See, we, we talk about expressing our love, this greatest commandment. We don't have to worry or wonder if that's reciprocated because God already acted in history and took the first step. He took the risk when Jesus entered humanity, when the word became flesh, when the second person of the Trinity walked this earth and willingly submitted himself to death on the cross and victoriously rose from the grave. Before he did that, he sat down with his disciples and said, I, I, I want to take this supper, this Passover with you. I've longed to take this with you. You know, it wasn't the first time he ate Passover with the disciples, but it was the one right before he died, the one right before he laid down his life on the cross. And he had longed for that moment so that they might begin to understand the depths of his love for them. And he took the elements that they were familiar with, the, the matzah, and the cups of wine used in the traditional Passover and said, I'm going to give them new meaning. This bread, this matzah that you've broken and eaten year after year after year, remembering thousands of years ago that Moses led the people out of Israel in the Exodus. This matzah is about a new Exodus, a new moment of liberation that happens because my body is going to be broken for you. And this cup, he drank four of them over the course of a Passover meal. Most people think this is the third cup, the cup of redemption that he used because it says after supper he took the cup. And in that cup, he said, this cup is now the cup of the new covenant, the old covenant written on tablets of stone, the new covenant written on the heart. We to we're told in the Old Testament, the new covenant in my blood, not by the blood of bulls and goats, but in my blood shed for you. This cup is is that. And in these elements today, as we take them together, it's a reminder of the greatness of God's love for you. Every one of us in this room is a sinner. Has sinned, probably if you're like me, has sinned today, and will tomorrow and the next day and other days after that. Every one of us. And yet God offers forgiveness and grace because of what Jesus did. God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. And so today as we pass out these elements, we can proclaim the death of Christ until he comes again. Why do we proclaim that? Because that's the moment where our sins penalty was paid and the possibility was open that we could be forgiven and granted eternal life. And so I'm going to invite our deacons to come forward and we're going to pass out the elements here in